Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It's brought to you this time by Squarespace and Eero. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hey, Jason. How are you? Ah, pretty good. We're. Uh, it's always good to be back in the every other week uh, liftoff. We, we're launching rockets every other week. We're like SpaceX. We're out there. <laughs> uh, unlike SpaceX, these podcasts are not reusable. It's just one and one and done, right? Well, you can play them again, but they don't I have guess, a new payload. Yeah. They don't have a new payload. That's true. It's, it's a complicated analogy <laughs> that really fell apart on me. Yeah, it did. It did. I'm glad you brought it up, though. Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. We've yeah. got uh, we got some SpaceX stuff. We have New Horizons. Uh, we have the SLS segment. We got a whole bunch of stuff, but we wanted to start with. Uh, everyone's favorite, I don't want to put a label on it, but I'm going to, everyone's favorite outer solar system spacecraft, New Horizons. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, well, I mean, I, Voyagers, there are Voyagers out there, one and two. Those are both pretty good. It's true. Um, but New Horizons is, I guess, it's our everybody's favorite active outer solar system craft. We'll go with that. Yeah. It's also <laughs> it is a the, smaller field to choose One of the, from. well, I mean, I, I guess Juno sort of counts too. But anyway, New, New Horizons is great. Uh, it brought us all those beautiful pictures of Pluto. Pluto, we know way more about Pluto now. We've seen it. It's really awesome. And of course, one of their ideas all along was that they were going to hope for an extended mission where they go out into the Kuiper Belt and find some other object that's very different from Pluto, but another uh, flyby where they could use the craft that's out there to explore other parts of the Kuiper Belt. And uh, it's about 100 million miles away from its next target. It does have its next target. We've talked on this show about the, how they had the whole naming thing where they were ser- uh, hoping for a uh, a name for it that would catch people's attention. Of course, we like the idea of naming it after nuts, I think, peanut and cashew and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. It didn't happen. <laughs> Um, they're going with, at least unofficially, the way they're referring to it as its nickname is Ultima Thule or Ultima Thule. I don't know even how you pronounce it, but it's like, it means like the the last object on the, in the distance or something like that. Um, anyway, but, uh. The flyby is coming. The fly- it's actually really exciting. We have we have been talking about this for a while now, but the rendezvous and the flyby of this object is happening on on New Year's Day. Um, it actually might even be New Year's Eve, technically, where I live, because it's right after the ball drops in <laughs> Times Square is mm-hmm. basically when this thing is happening, where New Horizons is going to fly past Ultima Thule, or if you want to call it by its catchy name, 2014 MU69. <laughs> Yeah, so it would be a fun way to ring in uh, ring in the new year. So this is in the news again because the team has taken its first image of this uh, Kuiper Belt object. So obviously they're still really far away. They're 100 million miles away. Yeah. and ha- but So how they did it is they took 48 exposures, overlaid them, and basically like burned out all the light from the background stars. And they're... As a bright spot is 2014 MU69, and this is actually like noticeably earlier than they expected they'd be able to do this. They figured it would be maybe even later in the month, but they they were able to do this early, which is pretty cool. And yeah, it's our first time we've seen this thing through the uh, through the lens of New Horizons, and of course, it's just uh, a taste of what's to come as that January first date gets closer. 
Yeah, this thing is so small. It's only 20 miles wide, right? So it's not another Pluto. It's not even close to that. It's a very small object or maybe even more than one object. And imaging it is incredibly hard because, again, you're thinking of, yes, it's something that's a reflector, um, but it's so far out there that what sunlight it's getting and it is reflecting and is coming back to us to observe it off of a 20-mile wide reflector is not that's not a lot of light. And so it's been imaged with the Hubble Space Telescope, um, but it's very hard to see. And so, and yes, they're 100 million miles away, so they didn't really expect to see it quite yet, but they managed to do it with this incredible kind of imaging work of taking a lot of images and seeing if they could spot it amid, you know, the background stars and everything. And they did, which is awesome. So not only is that cool, and it's sort of following last time we talked about the, uh, the comet spotting that was happening um by osiris rex where they they finally kind of spotted their quarry as they move in uh we've had the same thing happen here where they have spotted the quarry of uh ultima thule of uh mu69 and uh it's a good reminder too that in a very short amount of time right in in less than four months we're going to have pictures of this little Kuiper Belt object, the kind of object that we've never had such a close encounter with before. And that's really awesome because that that is um, one of the great things about New Horizons is it's this uh, first time we've really had encounters this far out in our solar system. And there's so many of these objects out there. I mean, there's a whole ring of them around the solar system. This is like, it is new ground. And I think we will... Uh, learn a lot from this and be able to uh, apply that to other Kuiper Belt objects. We did a, a episode. I tried finding it for the notes, but I couldn't dig it up. Uh, we talked about Kuiper Belt objects a while ago, how there are different classifications based on size and then based on makeup. So some are more rocky, some have more ice, some are metallic. It's, it's just like it's just the garbage heap out there of leftover stuff from the beginning of the solar system. And by studying it, we can learn more potentially about how the solar system came to be, how planets came to be. And uh, it's it's exciting to see one up close. It's one of those things where it, it's being able to fly something so far and photograph a target that's only twenty miles wide. Like the precision involved in that is really mind boggling to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the one of the things that they are using it's not just for show, right? One of the reasons they want to image this thing is that they do have the ability to course correct. And so the more imagery they, they can get as they get closer, the more they can kind of nudge their course a little bit so that they can um, you know, fly by as close as they want to and also not not hit it, which they're not gonna do because space is enormous. But like they're gonna be able to use these images starting now to figure out where they are in relation to this object and see if they need to make any little course corrections because it is the distance involved it is mind boggling how how uh that you're able to navigate and get a spacecraft to fly past this tiny little object far far away uh, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some uh, spacex stuff Oof. i feel i don't want to but I feel like we have to talk about the elon musk interview that yeah. it's, it's in the news right now he sat down with comedian uh, Joe Rogan for like it's like a two hour conversation. Yeah, I've skimmed it on it, YouTube. I, I put it in my uh, in my podcast listener, but but it, it's huge. <laughs> it's really long. Uh, there'll there'll be a link to it in the show notes. Uh, I've heard from people who say that that it's actually a very interesting interview to really get into kind of the mind of Musk and what he's trying to do. But it, people have not taken away that away from it, right? Because instead, there's been this headline where he has handed something. 
uh, which he he takes a puff on that is apparently um, people you know Joe Rogan says it's pot although it sounds like it's it's like a blunt basically it's a it's it's like a cigar with marijuana in it but um, and he was drinking whiskey too um, nobody seems to make a big deal about CEOs drinking whiskey on the internet just smoking marijuana on the internet so and it's in California too where it's actually legal for him to do yeah. this and yet still you know murmur 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 I think amplified by the fact that he seems to be having kind of a meltdown in public in terms mm-hmm. of like the the interview he gave to the new york times um and and th- other things like that yeah a, a, a bunch of executives left tesla last week like yeah something's going on in the world of elon mm-hmm. but um the reason we're gonna talk about of course because he's also the ceo of spacex and a, a lot of people got worked up about this uh the air force had to issue a statement that there that at least at the, t- at the time of the statement which was the end of last week that there was not an investigation into it they need to determine the facts uh, because there there are some rules around uh, the use of marijuana and other drugs uh, by people with um, military and government security clearances which, right. which Musk of course has as CEO of a of a very successful private space company so I don't think anything is going to come of this from the Air Force or from the government perspective. I think people are just worked up. It's 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 a distraction, but it's there, and it's at least we got to mention it. There is um, some other stuff that I thought was interesting, which is the story that I found that I haven't seen as many people talking about, but it's about um, so the DARPA, which is a uh, government advanced pro- advanced research projects organization. It's famous. They have a conference. Um, and so it was like last week and the CEO of SpaceX, right? Is it, is, is that a COO of SpaceX? Cause Musk is the CEO, the COO, Gwen Shotwell. Yes. So she kind of is running. The impression I get is she keeps the trains running at yeah, SpaceX. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Um, so she spoke at the DARPA conference and what was interesting about it is that there were some like details about what they're doing with their Mars stuff. And again, it is SpaceX. So it, it, following their leader here, there's a lot of um, enthusiasm that and timelines that may not be realistic. But it is interesting that, that she talked about um, kind of uh, Mars hopping flights and timing um they 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 hedged on the moon which i thought was really interesting again they they keep mm-hmm. doing that which is like well we want to go straight to mars but you know if the government wants to pay us to take people to the moon we could do that like it's just <laughs> we'll just we'll just right. throw it out there but they're talking about this bfs that sits on top of the bfr and that's the big falcon spaceship um and and the, there's a, a fanciful cross section that that somebody made that Musk retweeted that showed like crew compartments I think it was a I think it was a fan I'm not sure it was a SpaceX thing but the idea is that they're they're talking about this stuff and they want to do this hopping flight and the idea there is a little bit like what he was saying about um about doing uh future public transportation which is kind of ridiculous but the idea that you would you you take it's a suborbital flight you take the rocket up and you move it kind of sideways across distance and then you you land it and 
having a rocket with people in it is very different than landing the uh, a stage of a rocket for lots of lots of reasons so there's a lot going on here but they are talking about doing you know having some hopping tests and working on this stuff so it sounds like there are people at spacex who are doing work on not just the bfr but like what that second stage would be and you know who and that it would be for people to go to a you know a distant location to be determined and you can see where that makes sense as far as like the evolution of this vehicle that it looks like the BFS again like huge asterisks and all these timelines yeah. will be ready before the BFR and so if you have this ship and part of the idea of the ship is this sort of like suborbital transportation then you can be building the case for that and testing this vehicle while you're waiting for the rocket itself that it's needed to go to the moon or to Mars and so it's really two vehicles on two different timelines and you know i think it makes sense if if they really want to pursue the suborbital transportation system which i have nothing but questions about then this sort of thing like falls in line with that and they're saying like the late 2019 for this with uh the bfr being orbital in 2020, in 2020 or so uh, again lots of fine print there yeah. but uh it, it's it's they haven't talked much about this in public about the timelines and what they're actually doing. We've known that they're, that they're working on BFR and B, and uh, BFR and BFS, but it's been really quiet. And so I expect that we will hear more uh, over the rest of this year and early next year as these things uh, begin to come together. Yeah, and we didn't even mention the fact that there was also yet another SpaceX launch where they retrieved the first stage and all of that that happened the other day. Like they're they're launching their launch cadence is very impressive. They are, you know, they are figuring that part out. We are obviously more focused on sort of what's next than about their doing the business of launching satellites, which they right. are also doing and all doing the time. pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just they just did one this weekend. Yeah, I know that and and, it, and they landed on the uh, drone ship, right? And they retrieved the this thing that used to be like, "Oh my god, it's so amazing that they did it." And it's like that that was a first when we were doing this podcast, right? Yeah. And now it's just like it goes I, I realized it's not even in our notes. I wanted to bring it up, but like it goes uncommented upon. But it's worth noting that that uh, you know these launches are happening all the time. Not just SpaceX, of course, but everybody else doing them. And you know there's there's a lot. But SpaceX and their goal of really uh, as a private U.S. company uh, reusing rockets and uh, trying to reduce the cost of access to space. You know they are we we give them. Uh, guff for their unrealistic timelines and things like that, but it, it, it's worth pointing out, like, they are launching a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. Yeah. Alright, let's take a break, and then we'll get into some more stuff. How does that sound? Sounds good. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea. You can hook it up with a unique domain name, use award-winning templates that are beautifully designed, and so much more. It doesn't really matter what you need to create. Squarespace gives you the tools to do so. Maybe you want to create an online store, or maybe you want to have a portfolio, or maybe you just want to uh, be like Jason and I and start a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. You can have a site that has all three of those things because it's super easy to add on these sections to a Squarespace site. The best part is there's nothing to install. You don't have to go around worrying about plugins and patches. You don't have to worry about software upgrades. You don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff because Squarespace has it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you do need help, they allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. 
I recently built a little three or four page Squarespace site for a very tiny little nonprofit here in Memphis. And they just needed something, some informational stuff about what they're doing. Uh, hooked it up with a contact form that goes to someone's email address. I uh, have a donation thing set up. It, it's, it was all really easy. You know, they didn't have a big budget. They just needed something simple. And Squarespace let me build it and then hand it over to them so they can log in and make content changes because Squarespace editor makes that really, really simple. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for LIFTOFF. Once again, that's squarespace.com LIFTOFF and the code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Okay, Steven, you know what time it is? Yes, I'm going to take a big breath. Space launch system segment explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering, achievements, news, and trivia. Du, 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 du. SLS, SLS segment. segment. Whew. Wow. Oh, that felt good. <laughs> that was great. You stretched before? It's good. Oh. So first we're going to talk about what is now called just the gateway. The gateway. <laughs> it's a pretty good name. It's easier this, this is, way. This is the ever-rebranded space station in cislunar space, uh, and news broke that NASA has be- begun to put a plan together for construction. So for a long time, this was just some PowerPoint slides and some dreams. <laughs> we, but could, now, we, we could make our own space station plans if it's all it takes is PowerPoint slides. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'd use Keynote, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just uh, how yeah. I roll. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. there are now some details around uh, the, the first steps of this. It starts with a uh, a commercial rocket launch in 2022. So when I when I say commercial rocket launch to the moon, what comes to mind for me is I guess Falcon Heavy. I got uh, you know I guess some ULA would, rockets could do this too. Yeah, there are a few choices, but yeah, you got to get something uh, into this orbit. So it's a little bit uh, a little yeah. bit more power than just going into yeah. low Earth orbit. You're using something like a Delta IV Heavy or the Falcon Heavy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, This is not a Falcon 9 launch. Uh, And that is to bring up the power and propulsion modules, uh, again, on that rocket, uncrewed uh, to cislunar space. And it would basically insert those modules um, into an orbit. The next year, uh, 2023, is scheduled for uh, EM2, which is the first crewed launch of Orion and SLS together. Uh, that's just basically going to orbit the moon and come back. So they're not going to stop. They're just going to wave at those two modules as they go by, I guess. Yeah. It's the, hey. Well, it's the Apollo 8 and Apollo 13. It's the right. gym, the old gym level, which is the free return trajectory <laughs> around the moon thing. Yeah. Uh, that's a good name for that, for that move. Yeah, the, I like level, that. The, level, the level orbit, the level maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Poor, poor Jim Level. He really wanted to land on the moon, but it didn't happen. So close. In 2024, so the third year in a third year in this, uh, another Orion crew will fly to lunar orbit and visit the power and propulsion module. So this is EM3, the second crewed flight, and they're going to bring with them two more modules of the Gateway. Uh, these two modules are called uh, eSpirit, uh, which includes several things, but the the headline feature is an airlock for scientific use, so you can. Uh, bring things in and out of the station as far as experimentation. And then what's called the utilization module, which can serve as a crew habitat for up to 15 days. So this is not a long-term 
module for like long-term stay, but it can support a crew for 15 days and they have to, to replenish it. Um, so at that point in 2024, we're talking four modules. Uh, we're talking about uh, a, a destination that crew could stay in for two weeks around the moon. And uh, there's there's more passes. I want to put a robotic arm on it. There's a link in the show notes to nasaspaceflight.com. They have a really uh, helpful chart of like what all the modules are going to be. Uh, but these are the the beginning steps. These are the 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 first uh, the first bricks of the wall of the gateway. Yeah, and it's there's so much going on here. So like the uh, e spirit or it, it's not e spirit. It's esprit. Esprit, and if oh, that sounds no. French to you, Esprit, it's because uh, it is the E. You've been, you have been taken over by foreign acronyms, Stephen. Foreign acronyms are the hardest acronyms. So it's European system providing refueling infrastructure and telecommunications. If you're curious, ESA, right? So probably going to be providing this, ESA. Uh, But it hasn't formally been announced, but like that's the idea here. And and then very much is like, it's reminding me of the early days of the ISS where it's like, we're going to put up some modules and uh, then before you know it, you've got a, you got a space station there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's all going on. That's really fascinating. Like, oh, they have a whole plan for like what these modules are going to be that they're going to build and they're going to put up there. That's really interesting. And then the next step is, uh, or the next thing that's interesting is, this actually answers one of those big questions that we've had, which is, what is the second crewed mission of SLS supposed to be? Like, what is that? And the answer seems to be this, which is they're going to take uh, modules out to Gateway and hook them all up. And then you're going to actually have what is because it's even though it's short duration stay like you at that point have a space station in cislunar orbit space stations start humbly you know you start with a couple of modules and that's and right go from there that's right i mean the iss started the same way iss when it started was like there was you know just a couple of dumb modules and it was like okay but uh then they just uh kept adding to it mm-hmm uh this is the uh this em3 launch would be uh using the Yet to be completed, uh, extended SLS upper stage. Uh, there's been some talk we just spoke last time, actually, or two times ago, about the scheduling issues with that upper stage. But uh, they, I guess they intend for that to be ready for this. And then it would launch from the second yet-to-be-built mobile mobile launcher. So the, uh, the mobile launcher 1, which was uh, sort of revamped from the... Uh, the Constellation project that actually has been rolled into the vehicle assembly building that happened this past week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this will be launched from the second uh, mobile launch platform, which uh, was included in the budget. And you know, there was debate about do you need one or two? It looks like they're going to have two. Uh, so there's a lot of steps to get here. None of these modules have been built. Like this is this is sort of day one of this uh, this schedule. But I think we will – I want to keep a close eye on this because it's really interesting to me because it gives it gives SLS a job. Like we talked about that early on in that SLS episode of, of like what is this rocket for? And this is part of that answer and this is something that if NASA wants to do this, they've, they have to have a heavy lift vehicle too. They can't just use a commercial – they don't seem to want to just use commercial rockets for this. So – uh, this all is, is slowly coming together, slowly seeing the pieces sort of form into the uh, into the bigger story. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the um, since we last did an episode, the mobile launcher r- rolled all the way out to pad thirty nine B, and then they and then they put it in the VAB using getting to use that height in mm-hmm. the uh, in the VAB, and so um, 
so that also is going on. So there's there's stuff happening. There's stuff happening with the SLS. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's interesting and exciting. So yeah, there's there's um, more to come here. Watch out for foreign acronyms, though. Dangerous. <laughs> yeah, Dangerous. That, that's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Of course, SLS is only part of this solution. You also have Orion, the crew capsule. And uh, as we record this tomorrow, so Wednesday, September 12th, uh, NASA is going to be opening uh, the back of an airplane and kicking Orion out the back huh. <laughs> with uh, with uh, a parachute and uh, landing test schedule. They're going to stream it on NASA TV. Uh, it's at 10.15 a.m. Eastern. So if you're listening to this the day this comes out, you still have time to watch this. Uh, I plan on, on uh, tuning in. So they're going to have it in a C-17, which is a huge military aircraft, and uh, fly up to six miles in altitude, and it's going to verify the capsule's 11 parachutes, and then the mortars and pyrotechnic devices, you know, they have all these, uh, uh, this is all staged, right? So they have to, like, they blow the uh, the initial shoots, and then the big ones come out, and they have other things going on, to so test that entire sequence. Uh, some of this has been done. Some of this is a repeat test. Some of this is, is new hardware or new testing. Uh, but again, it's a just like uh, the mobile launcher. This is a milestone on the way to Orion being being ready. That's right. And uh, hopefully it all goes well. Yep. And it's a flashy one, too. Like, who doesn't like seeing something get dropped out of an airplane? Mm-hmm. Live. So yeah, live on TV. And you know, that, that really... Sort of blows you know blows my mind a little bit. It's like oh yeah, they're just gonna they're just gonna stream a test. Of course, why why wouldn't they stream it? You know, it's it's so different from uh, the last time uh, NASA built a vehicle. This is the uh, the final section of the SLS segment this week, uh, and I called it sponsor a rocket. Hmm. NASA administrator Jim Bridenstine and advisors are exploring selling naming rights to uh, its hardware. And there is a really, really solid article about this over on The Verge, uh, written by Lauren Grush, that you definitely need to go read. Uh, she really walks through the pros and cons of this, and a lot of a lot of details involved in this that you know, some people may not know. And so, NASA, because it is a government agency full of government employees, including astronauts, astronauts are government employees. They are restricted from promoting or even appearing to promote commercial products or services. So they can't sh- show up in advertising as like a spokesperson for something, right? You don't see astronauts on cereal boxes, which is an example Lauren uses a bunch. Uh, you don't see, uh, you know, the, the Opportunity or the Curiosity rover with, uh, you know, Intel inside on the side of it. Right. Right, and there's uh, her article talks about uh, like NASA will mention that like they take M and M's into space, but they just call them candy covered chocolates. I love that, and that, yeah. And that you'll see brands up there, but uh, like there's that famous picture of the shuttle docked at the ISS, and there's an iPod in the front window, like on the dashboard. There's just an iPod classic there, but it's like they're not going to talk about it. They'll say mm-hmm. maybe if they have to, they'll say that there's a, an MP3 player or something like yep. that. They're not going to not going to talk about that. It's been very much like we are a public you know, agency, a government agency, and therefore we're not picking favorites or using our power to endorse a product or something like that. Right. I have a print of that photo, by the way. I really love that picture. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like you just left your iPod at the dash of your Civic, but your Civic mm-hmm. is a space shuttle. <laughs> it's a space shuttle. Yeah, strange. Yeah. Well, I guess in space, no one's going to break the window and steal your iPod, so it's safer than leaving it in your car. It will. That will not be the problem if somebody does that. 
Yeah, which, more oh, immediate which, concerns. Which there's a story related to that later in the podcast, but we'll I'll save it for then. <laughs> space crime. Space uh, crimes, yeah. Th- thank God we have a space force. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. there are two angles into this. Uh, the first one, obviously, is monetary, right? That if you have uh, a tech company or whatever sponsoring a piece of hardware, you can offset that budget. Uh, Lauren makes the point in her article that these missions cost hundreds of millions of dollars. So, like, I don't. At most, these these sorts of deals would only could only put a dent uh, in that budget, probably. Uh, but the other one, I think, is um, maybe more interesting, uh, and it's it, looking at astronauts to do to be involved in advertising or promotional stuff uh, to enhance the exposure of space activities in popular culture. So, what I thought about immediately is the sports world where professional athletes very often have uh, deals like this, right? So you uh, you walk into a shoe store and there's a big Nike uh, banner with LeBron James on it or whoever. And it's very common in that world to have these sorts of uh, partnerships and programs and that sort of thing. And it, it, it the brand then gets access to like that person's following and that person's like prestige, mm-hmm. but then that person is making a bunch of money off of it too. So it's, it's win-win. There's a, um, I read a lot of sci-fi stuff. And one of the things that I've read in a lot of science fiction, modern science fiction that tries to depict what future, what like a first mission to Mars would be like or something like that. A lot of that involves people if you, because if you think about it, like we've been thinking of all this exploration stuff as being in the mode of sort of '60s Apollo program, or maybe like the modern ISS stuff, um, and a lot of the science fiction, which is trying to weave together kind of our culture and where it's going, posits that one of the things about a mission to Mars is it's going to be the best reality show ever, and that social media and videos and updates about from the crew and all those things could potentially be a huge part of the mission but also as we all often talk about on this show how do you engage the public and this is a little bit different from putting a logo on the side of a of a rocket right Mm -hmm. but it's all kind of mixed up in there together which is like do they make a do they just do it on social media and everybody can do it or do they do they do a show that's an official show and sell it somewhere which if it's a government agency is that is that weird is that not their government employees it belongs to everybody um, but what they really want is engagement do they make all of the footage available for free and then um, but there's a producer that's putting it together and they make a really good one um, is it all just social media stuff and 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 that's all it needs to be there's just a lot of questions about like the world we live in today i think separate from the kind of like most basic thing here which is kind of silly although although they point out like starliner is going to have a boeing logo on it spacex stuff all has spacex logos on it so there's this question of like you know do you want but then again if you're nasa do you not want nasa (laughs) the nasa logo on it so people engage with nasa and care about nasa you see picture there was a football player whose nickname he's a rookie in the nfl and his nickname is astronaut and he uh when he was walking in before his first game he had uh a a, uh, his his uh jacket was a nasa style flight suit with an with like a a patch of his astronaut because it's his name that was part of the i'll see if i can find that we can put in the show notes so that was really cool but underneath it what was he wearing he's wearing a nasa I think worm logo t-shirt 
It's like, nice. you know, do you want it to be the Little Caesars Mars probe or do yeah. you want it to be NASA? This is why you need to fund NASA because NASA brings you this awesome stuff. I think, you know, is it is it worth it to do that kind of branding? Yeah, and it, it does feel like NASA is more in the popular culture than it, than it was maybe 10 years ago. I think most of that has to do with companies like SpaceX and NASA sort of hitched to that in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I get the engagement part though. I get the engagement that like, if it's, if it's Coke or McDonald's or, you know, whoever it is or IBM, uh, you know, whatever, is there, is the marketing budget an opportunity to, to have a company with marketing wherewithal to market your, your, your program, your probe, your, you know, your astronauts, whatever it is. Like, is there a big advantage in having somebody who is used to doing commercial broad marketing to customers on your side if you're NASA? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. And NASA is a little bit of an outlier here. So both the Canadian and the Russian space agencies have r- different rules around this, and they basically allow a lot of the stuff that NASA NASA doesn't. And it's, you know, it, I don't think... I don't think those agencies have really suffered for it. You know, like it, it comes down for me like this feels a little weird to me, but I'm uh, a NASA purist, maybe. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think there's that. I don't know if there's that much bad that really could happen, except for what you were talking about. That does it actually damage like the Na- NASA's reputation or NASA's sort of quote unquote brand in the public? Because I think they do for the most part, like enjoy pretty good publicity. NASA does, we've talked about this a lot. NASA does a good job of publicizing itself. A lot of that has to do with the budget stuff where if more people are engaged and interested, then that's that's good for NASA. It's good for their financial standing in the federal government. And this, I think, does have the possibility to turn people off, uh, people who may be uh, into it now who weren't before. They start seeing this like, oh, this is weird. Um so it's complicated, but I think the the clear answer is is if they do this, our clear future is a Kickstarter to have the liftoff brand on a piece of NASA hardware. I feel like this is where this ends up, right? Like huh. we we maybe we can maybe we can just raise enough money for like a bolt or like a sock or something, you know, like a like a astronaut socks, something. I think we get our way in here somewhere. We'll have we to see need- the price sheet. Yeah, yeah, we may need a Kickstarter uh, to do that, but yeah, I think it'd yeah. be fine. So, um, and I, I have a little little update. I've I've dug some of this up. Uh, it's uh, the, so the guy the guy is named Bradley Chubb. He is a rookie for the Denver Broncos. His Twitter handle is at astronaut. That's good, right? And and so and he's got an endorsement deal with Snickers. So they made him a flight jacket, flight style jacket with an astronaut patch that's very much in the meatball logo style. Snickers logo, Denver Broncos logo, Colorado State flag. Um, and then he was wearing that to the game, unzipped with a NASA Worm logo T-shirt underneath, which is pretty cool. So yeah, you know maybe maybe so maybe this all works. Also, I want to know more about the Coke and Pepsi cans that were built for. Uh, for zero g which lauren mentions in that story that's i can talk about that that's bananas like that they built that they built soda dispenser can drinking things for space yes we just talked 
uh, about this on Ungenius episode 61, I think. I'm looking through the notes. It's a great episode. I just listened to it yesterday. Although, uh, you know, I've got I've got some comments because I lived I lived through that. I remember going <laughs> to find a store in the first store in town that had new Coke so that I could try it. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about the Cola Wars and then we talked about Coca-Cola itself. And uh, the Coca-Cola company basically developed a... like a soda fountain. Like you go into a 7-Eleven and like you hit the button and Coke comes out, like that whole apparatus built one that would work or was thought to work in low gravity. And it worked, it put on the shuttle and it worked. They flew the Coca-Cola machine twice. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how many times the Pepsi one flew, Uh, but you can find pictures of it. And like, you could tell it's a Coke machine, but like not really. And uh, a lot of that is like that fine line, like the, like the name of M&Ms, like chocolate, candy and a hard colorful shell yeah. or whatever like he, he, he it is what it is but you got to work your way around it so you know i don't know you see uh it's inevitable that product stuff that you know that is going to show up in nasa materials is, is a thing in lauren's article about you know you'll see thinkpad laptops or you see sharpie markers but they're always referred to as like pc workstations or you know felt tipped pens you know they they, they got to mm-hmm. work around the naming and some of that seems silly, but but I understand why those rules are there. So at the end of the day, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm really torn on this. I really don't know. Uh, I see both sides of it. I understand both sides of it. I agree to a point with both sides of it, mm. but I don't know how I feel uh, about what I, what NASA should do here. Yeah, I mean, I I actually agree. I think this is. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. And done right, it could actually be fine. And done wrong, it would be really embarrassing. Um, and it reminds me, actually, one of the things that reminds me of, because so much that happens in spaceflight is historic, um, one of the things that reminds me of is, um, as a, uh, sorry, I'm going back to, to baseball here a little bit, but uh, which I know you don't like, but uh, think of any sport, uh, and then think of watching an old broadcast of any sport, mm-hmm. and you get the promos for Fox sitcoms that got canceled after eight episodes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you get the slogans for products that have changed slogans 10 times since then. You get the products that no longer exist. And while that can be kind of fun, there is that same feeling of like, it was, I get why this happened, but now not only is it, yes, that ad is now indelibly part of this historical moment, but at the same time, also that ad, even the people, we know this from the podcast business, even the people who have that ad, they don't want that ad 10 years later. They don't want that logo. They've changed their logo. They've changed their product. They've changed their slogan. And I always think about this because there's that shot of Hank Aaron hitting the uh, the record-breaking home run, beating uh, uh, Babe Ruth's record for career home runs. And one of the things that you get is as the ball sails over the fence, there's an ad on the fence that says, Master Charge, I think. Think of it as money. Because they were hmm. trying to explain, like, you should use a credit card. That yeah. it's, It was the 70s. Um, and I think of that all the time now, about, like, dated ad reference or when I watch my, uh, you know, my favorite baseball team winning the World Series in 2010, um, the, you know, Joe Buck is there saying, oh, here's the cast of this show that already got canceled on Fox. And it, and it, and, and that's the part that gives me the most pause is, you know, a historic moment with an, an old ad on it. Like, yeah, that doesn't, I don't, I don't love that. But at the same time, like promotional partnerships that it, that help engage the public in space, I think is a good thing, even though it's weird and maybe kind of cheapens it in a way. In the end, 
if there's if there is a theme to this podcast, it is us trying to have our eyes wide open about the fact that space exploration is funded largely by public money. And the only way you get the taxpayer money to fund the space exploration and the science and all of that is to engage the public so that they mm-hmm. feel like it's important to fund this stuff. Yes. And if this is a way to do that, I think more likely through engagement than through, we'll write you a check to put our logo on the side of a rocket, then maybe <laughs> that's the right call. Maybe that's the right decision. Yeah. And, and my guess is that like the the NASCAR style like logos on the side of the rocket like that's that's the most extreme version of this right that's the version that I think we all sort of find a little distasteful that we don't want to see I don't want to see the SLS you know with a big uh, uh, you know big logo section <laughs> or you know yeah. one of the solid solid rocket boosters or something but there are there are things you know like talking about the Gateway or even the International Space Station. This could be as simple as a, a a company has some sort of technology that they want to test, and they work out a deal where uh, they can have it tested, and they sponsor it, and NASA doesn't have to pay for the equipment. You know, NASA gets X amount of time on. It. Like it's those sorts of things, like the smaller items, the um, like sort of the business partnerships, like you talked about earlier. Content, I think, could be a huge part of this. That isn't as as gross. I also was thinking of something like, you know, if if they make a custom a custom set of tires, right, to go on the next Mars to go on Mars twenty twenty, um, and maybe they consulted with a tire company, maybe they didn't, maybe a tire company, but like you could give that tire company the opportunity to boast about the fact that they were involved. Um, even if no commercial tire company was involved, you could get a tire company to be a part of an endorsement sure. deal where they basically like say Mars 2020 is rolling around on Mars um, and it's going to withstand, you know, blah, blah, blah. And our tires are will do let you do that on Earth. Right. Like there are ways you could like attach that are not the super gross way of it's one small step for man, one giant leap for Verizon, right? You don't have to do <laughs> <Bah>. that, <laughs> right? I mean, let's not do that. Okay, we got we've got more to talk about. We should probably move on, and I should probably tell people about our other sponsor this time. Let's do it. Uh, this episode of Liftoff is also brought to you by Eero. The people at Eero have built the Wi-Fi system you want for your home. It's in my home, and I really like it. Uh, it it provides a fast, reliable connection in every room. Even out to the backyard, I got connected devices. I was listening to some music in the backyard yesterday. You know, I'm out there with my laptop. I'm out there with my iPad. Uh, Wi-Fi is solid. The, the There's a new second generation Eero. It's got a third 5 gigahertz radio. One of the secrets of Wi-Fi is you want to transmit on some different frequencies in order to break through the noise because you got your neighbors have Wi-Fi too. And to not have kind of like crosstalk, you want you want clear channels to to uh, transmit data. And the second generation Eero has that third radio built into it. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero can blanket your whole home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. The Eero station sits flat on any surface. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either with internet or via wireless and there's the little Eero beacon you plug it into a wall that's it you don't have to wire it up at all and it will expand coverage into any room again the advantage of having multiple radios is that Eero's little beacon can talk to you and your devices on one Wi-Fi radio while also doing the conversation relaying your stuff to the rest of your network on a different 
radio, which makes it work better. It's just super smart stuff. Having one router just doesn't work. You need more than that. Wi-Fi doesn't go through walls well. You wouldn't expect a light bulb in your living room to light your master bedroom. I'd like to believe, I'd like to see that person who's like, but I have a light bulb. Why is my whole house not full of light now? We have to talk about object permanence and how the laws of physics work, and it's very confusing. Um, So like I said, I've got this. um, The story I like to tell about this is that I discovered that I had a cable unplugged in my in my bedroom not too long ago and i didn't realize for a while that it was unplugged because i i my euro was attached via ethernet because i had an ethernet plug back there and attached to the rest of my network when it came unplugged the euro base station was smart enough to be like oh okay i don't see that ethernet anymore but i see these other euros that are on my network so i'll just talk to them instead and it just kept doing the right thing for not just my wireless connection in my bedroom, but for the other devices on that Ethernet network that were attached to that Eero by the wires, they all still worked too because Eero routed. It, it was really amazing that it was able to do this. So super smart. Uh, my whole house is covered. I don't have dead spots anymore. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, it, it is super easy to set up. Just kind of amazing. Um, and you know what else is amazing? Free overnight shipping to the U.S. and Canada, which you can get by going to Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com. And at checkout, select overnight shipping and enter the code LIFTOFF. And then it will be free and you will get it the next day. That's amazing. Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com. Promo code LIFTOFF for free overnight shipping. Thank you, Eero, for supporting LIFTOFF and all of Relay FM. All right. You want to tell us about uh, meteorology from space? Yeah. I mean, we're uh, as we record this, there is some serious stuff going on. Um, there's a hurricane barreling toward the east coast of the United States, Florence. And um, it is hurricane season on the east coast of the U.S., And what I thought was interesting, I just wanted to note it. There's not a huge story here, but I wanted to note, like, again, talk about public engagement. Talk about people seeing what the value is that NASA provides. This week, my Twitter feed, I have a space feed, especially that's like a whole bunch of science and scientists and space people and all that, um, has been flooded. And like the NASA Twitter accounts, flooded with links to Earth science. And I think in a positive way, not a, I mean, it is opportunistic, but I think in a good way, there is a point being made about how we rely on NASA Earth science for safety, for understanding in situations like this. And so I think they did a really good job. There's a lot of... uh, of images from the GOES satellite, which is uh, acronym alert, Geostationary Operational Environmental Satellite. There's there's two, I think, 16 and 17, um, that are relatively recent. They, are, they take spectacular images. There is an image that somebody tweeted out that we'll put in the show notes that is a video of the, uh, the, the hurricane eye of Florence that is so smooth. You're used to like, you know, one picture and then another picture and then another picture. This is like, this is a, I forget what it is, 30, 30 minutes or whatever uh, capture. It, it is like a smooth video of the detail of inside the hurricane eye of this giant hurricane. Um, we do, uh, you know, these things are doing uh, rain data. They're looking at the intensification. They're looking at the temperature of the, of the ocean 
water. They're looking at the track in the atmosphere. They're using this to predict when that hurricane will hit and where it will hit so the people in those areas can evacuate or prepare. This is all happening because of uh, lots of different parts of Earth science, but especially NASA's satellites, the satellites that are in NOAA and everybody else who's involved in those satellites that are there in space. They are looking down at the Earth. And to be honest, I think the unstated thing here is a lot of Earth science stuff gets downgraded or cut or poo-pooed by people in power because they view it as a uh, as sort of this wishy-washy environmentalist, they're going to just they're, they're all just going to tell us about how there's climate change and all of that, which is true, but also it is saving people's lives because we need to understand how hurricanes work and where they're going to go. So in this moment where there's this huge story about this storm that's coming to the East Coast, I think it is very interesting that it's an opportunity for everybody who's involved in Earth science at NASA to just point out look at all of these and they're not saying hey appreciate the ghost satellite that's not what they're saying they're just they're showing you what is happening what they see what the scientists learn what what forecasters are using these tools to do and i think that's all uh, pretty cool so it's it's um if you cuz if you think about it we used to have nothing like this in terms of understanding what storms were, how they started, where they go. Like none of that. We are so much more advanced now because of the eyes and other sensors that we have, the cameras and other sensors in space. There aren't actual eyes of people in space, except at the space station. But you know what I mean. They're, they're, we have cameras pointing down at the earth, looking in the eyes, <laughs> more eyes of a hurricane. And, um, We've come so far in understanding our world and how it works because of that. So I think I think it was interesting and smart that we were all reminded of that this week. Yeah, these images are incredible. Uh, the one in particular from the uh, the vantage point of the International Space Station is stunning. Isn't isn't that amazing? Yeah, there's a shot of of uh, out of the ISS as they pass over. Um, the hurricane, and you can see the little like Canadarm is hanging out there. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and little solar panel sticking out. Yeah, yeah, and the and yeah, that one's great. There's a there's a storm structure and rainfall, as mentioned. There's a big um, uh, big satellite that's actually uh, not goes that took a big image that you can see all of the three uh, hurricanes that are out in the Atlantic right now. And of course that goes 16 satellite that is got the, the video, uh, right down in the, uh, yeah, I said 30 minutes, 30 second data. So they can take a picture basically every 30 seconds and you end up with this spectacular spinning, uh, image of the, uh, of the hurricane's eye. All right. We teased this a little bit earlier, but there was a situation aboard the International Space Station. Uh, On August 30th, a small air leak was detected. Uh, The crew was not in danger. Apparently, this leak was very slow. A depressurization would have taken 14 days, so plenty of time uh, to locate this. And uh, there's an interesting article in the show notes about how they find leaks, and basically they, they... shut off modules sort of like systematically from each other and, and try to narrow down where things are. Uh, a pretty, pretty neat read. So after this searching, uh, the leak was isolated to a hole about two millimeters in diameter 
on the orbital module of the Soyuz uh, attached to the Russian segment of the station. So this is the upper uh, section. It it gets jettisoned for re-entry, so this capsule is still safe to come back to Earth. Uh, And there was a photo of this floating around, which is linked in the show notes. Uh, And it was filled filled with a sealant, and then uh, then the leak stopped, uh, which is good. Everyone's safe. No more problems. But then things got weird, right? Like... (laughs) This is very strange from here on out. Super weird. Super, super weird. So if you look at the if you look at the image, it looks uh very much like it this was done with a drill. There's even little marks around the hole. Like yeah. if you've ever drilled something and the drill bit doesn't mm-hmm. bite, it sort of skitters across and scratches. That's what this is. Like that is what this looks like. Um there was uh, of course, what we all, or at least what I automatically thought, what I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about was, oh, they've been struck by a piece of debris, right? That's right. always the concern. That's always sure. the thing you think about. Uh, but this, uh, the leak was coming from inside the station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the theory is that th- this hole was made by accident and then it was patched probably by somebody trying to cover up yeah. the uh, the error rather than get in trouble. And uh, so it's probably not, but somebody, you know, somebody said, well, could they, could this be sabotage on the station? Like there's a, you know, space crime, like you said about it, but it seems, you know, the, the, the weirdest part to me was where the head of the Russian space space agency basically said, we will find who is responsible for this and made it this whole like, um, thing which i mean it is if the, if you drilled a hole in something that was going to space and then like stuck some gum in it and hope nobody would notice that's probably not great mm-hmm. yeah it looked like it had been sealed with some sort of glue but not one that uh would hold and right. this is this was fixable like if they had, if it had been reported so if we go with the theory that it was done by accident and someone covered it up trying to save their job because i'm sure this is fireable it could have been patched with a simple weld. This is an aluminum uh, casing. You can weld that shut. No problem. It's totally safe for flight. Uh, but instead, it was covered up, and then that glue slowly deteriorated, and then, boom, you get a leak. Um, the idea of, like, sabotage in space is, is people have been watching too many movies. I think the idea of sabotage on the ground is also really unlikely. Uh, there's an Ars Technica article about this that says that this manufacturer that uh, is used has had lots of quality issues. And I think the going theory is that a technician did this by mistake, covered it up, thought they were in the clear. And now there's a, there's a hunt, uh, in the factory for them. Uh, but you know, anytime there's a leak on the station, I'm sure it's scary. I'm sure that, uh, you know, lots of people thought it would, it was going to be, uh, debris, but no danger, very slow leak, totally fine now. So that, that's the good news here. Um, and we'll see if there's any fallout from uh, this manufacturing partner in Russia that uh, clearly has uh, some problems on its hands, quality control wise. Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it has it has definitely like the weirdness of it. Like I was watching um, last week tonight with John Oliver, and and he had a whole thing about this where he decided he was going to solve the mystery, and he thinks it's it's one of the ten mice. That is on the ISS. He suspects them because the people probably <laughs> couldn't do it, but maybe the mice did it. And he says, I will get to the bottom of this. And he, they actually got comments from NASA about how the mice are, are not able to access the, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's just the comedy potential here is is great because it got so weird so fast where it's like, maybe this was sabotage or something like that. But in reality, I think by far the most 
uh, likely scenario is what we've said, which is somebody screwed up, tried to cover it up um, rather than do the right thing. And that the most important thing about what the Russian space agency is doing is not to get a scapegoat. It's to make it clear to everybody who works there that you need to report your errors and not try to do something like stick some glue because that will get somebody killed. Absolutely. You know, if this had been on the reentry module and not detected in space and they bring that thing back into the atmosphere, it's very likely someone could have been killed. Yeah. Very serious business. Yeah. Well, we have one more thing. We do. We do. It is a it is a another strange one, which is so we've been talking about there is a there was a dust storm, planet wide dust storm on Mars, mm-hmm. as as so often happens, and um, we got opportunity there, which is uh, the one remaining of the that pair of Spirit and Opportunity older rover that's rolling around has been working really hard for a very long time, but um, when it, it's solar powered. So when the lights go out, unlike unlike our the current rover that is nuclear powered, this is solar powered. So um, it needs light from the sun that is blotted out by the dust storm. So it lost contact with NASA. Uh, and the idea there is, okay, well, it needs to go in a safe mode and then hopefully the uh, the storm will clear and there won't be dust on the panels and it'll be able to charge up its battery and phone home. And there's also this thought that what what will happen often on Mars and has happened before is that there'll be a little dust clearing incident. It's almost like a dust devil that will blow across and and wipe the dust off of the solar panels. So sometimes the winds on Mars actually help you because they blow the dust off of the solar panels. So the sun is breaking through the haze. Um, the dust is dying down. The dust devils might be out there. They might not. And they're and they're hoping to get opportunity back up and running which sounds great right like we've talked about that this will be great then the next story that comes out is nasa has basically put them on a 45 day plan where they get 45 days uh, and this goes to some of the dynamic of these extended missions where like the people who are on the mission want to keep going but that means that there's more money that needs to be found for these missions and sometimes there is definitely a push and pull where the people running the budgets are like, do we really need to keep doing this? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the answer is yes, like New Horizons, which we started this episode with, where they're like, yeah, sure, go another Kuiper Belt object, great. But that was an extension that had to be approved. Here you get the sense, uh, and, and it was very clear in the reaction to this story uh, immediately thereafter, that when NASA says, well, you'll get 45 days, and then after that we'll give up, that there are a lot of people who are like, well, wait, wait, wait a second, what do you mean 45 days? And there is this feeling like there's somebody at NASA who is kind of rushing everybody to the exits. Like, um, it would be a shame if we couldn't maintain contact or regain contact with opportunity. So, uh, you know, it would be too bad if in 45 days we had to shut down this program and uh, stop paying people to do it. Um, and that so there's a, you know, how how real is that? How, how paranoid are they? But um, there are a lot of people um, that on the rover team who have said, and there's an article at the verge by Sean O'Kane, um, where they're, they're like, that is not enough time. There are lots of things that could happen. We need more time to reestablish contact. And they feel like, yeah, they're being rushed. Like this is a setup that if it can't be done very quickly, they're going to just shut the program down and move on. It's complicated. And 
the, the in reading the article, his source is someone it seems like was on the team and was on the losing side of that argument and then wanted to air that absolutely. publicly. Absolutely. Uh, there, there's quotes in the article from like former flight directors and former engineers on the on the program saying the same thing that this plane is too fast, it's too accelerated, you're not giving it enough time. Uh I and I mean I guess I can see why NASA if 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 all this is as laid out in this in this article is how it went down. I I understand NASA looking at it from a budgetary perspective and saying, look, we've been on this for a long time. Uh, it's time to let it go. Uh, but at the same time, it's been running a long time and doing valuable work. Well, so, yeah, the argument the argument is um, it was only supposed to go for 90 sols, so 92 and a half days, which means it was really only supposed to work in early 2004. Now, presumably, there was a hope that they would be able to keep extending the mission. But I I totally see why somebody at NASA would look at this and say... We have been extending this mission for 14 years. Why won't this little thing? And I mean, maybe this is the conversation is, okay, we spent we spent lots of money to get this little thing to Mars where it's rolling around. And as long as it's rolling around, let's squeeze more science out of it. And, you know, this is an opportunity for them to say, no, 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 no. We didn't shut down an active mission. We walked away from a dead mission without trying too hard to save it right (laughs) and like like the optics of that i guess politically are way better which is to say well you know the story is it didn't come back to life but what they don't clearly those people don't want it to come back to life because it is a drain on their budget that they probably want to put that money somewhere else that they've been doing this extended mission for 14 years i mean it has been 14 years of extended missions and they may be looking at mars 2020 and like all this stuff and it's like how long do we want to keep driving this little skateboard across the surface of mars but if you look at the other picture here which is how much money do we spend to get it there Let's keep it going as long as we can. How much money do we spend sending things to Mars? As long as you've got a usable instrument on Mars, you should keep using it. So I, I, you know, I totally, I see where the bureaucrats probably are coming from here, but, um, you know, it's hard to believe that there's literally no more science to be wrung out of opportunity. The fact is every square foot of Mars that it rolls across and takes pictures of is valuable. So, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate. I do love the fact that they are using the press to get out this sort of save opportunity, wake up opportunity thing um, to see if uh, that might change public opinion enough or make it just visible enough that it becomes less convenient to just shut it down after 45 days. If they were hoping that the 45 days would just be accepted as a reasonable amount and then they'd shut it down and there'd be no outcry, they clearly have found out that that's not going to happen. Yep. So there you go. So, uh, Hopefully, opportunity wakes up wake, here. Wake up, opportunity, right? Like that—that's the solution. But what they—I mean, what what they say is that they need a little more time because through G- the end of January of next year, they're in the season where the dust devils could blow the dust off the solar panels. So right. basically, Which has what happened in the past, right? That's not uh, just an idea. Yeah, yeah, four times I think, and on Spirit. Yeah, yeah, where where basically they're suddenly their solar panels are way more, um, are way more. Uh, inputty like you know what I, I don't even know the word here they're they're providing more electrical input and they're like oh somebody blew the dust off the solar panels we can keep going we got more power now that's great um and that's part of the frustration here is they're like we need more time 
to allow this thing to resolve, mm-hmm. then maybe somebody is willing to give them. It's uh, frustrating. So we'll keep an eye on it here. We'll do we'll do what we can to to observe what's going on with opportunity. Right. I've been again out on my roof every night yelling into the sky. Wake up. My neighbors aren't happy with that Don't idea, work. but it's fine. Well, I think that does it for this fortnight, Jason. Yeah, there's a lot of action-packed stuff. A bunch of stuff. If you mm. want to find uh, links to stuff we've talked about, definitely go check out Lauren's article about uh, the space deals. Definitely check out those Twitter links about uh, Hurricane Florence. And we, we know we've got listeners in that area, so uh, please be safe over the next uh, next week or so. Uh, all those links are on the website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 80. While you're there, you can get in touch with us a bunch of different ways. You can send us an email from that page. Or you can find us. Uh, our Tumblr uh, blog is linked from that page as well. We, we put stuff uh, in between episodes because there's a lot of stuff to talk about, so we share some thoughts there as well. Uh, and then, of course, you can find us on Twitter. Jason is Snell, and you can find me there as ISMH. Until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios. <laughs>